Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Jones, your host, and uh, I'm joined for the first time with two athletes at the same time. Yeah, it's pretty overwhelming. Anyway, we call the show The Cool Down, and I'm here with Sherpa John LaCroix and Jason Robillard. Both of them are return guests, and we're just going to kind of hang out and talk about a bunch of stuff that's kind of current event. Current eventy? Is that a word? It is now. All right, there you go. It's current eventy. We're going to do that. So, uh, John, Jason, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, guys. Hey, no problem. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. For sure. We had little technical difficulties. Uh, Jason was trying to use two rocks and a stick to get on people <laughs> hanging out, and apparently that doesn't work in 2014. So me, me and John were fine because we decided that nobody works in, in the 21st century anyway, so we could just hang out all day if we needed to. But uh, we, do, we do have some goals here. So if you're listening to this in the normal format, it's podcast, it's audio only. You can go over to the YouTube page, it's Athlete on Fire, and, and watch us kind of goof off in our pajamas all day long. Of course, that's a joke as well. And uh, there's no goal. There's no goal like the initial the initial uh, interview with these guys. Uh, you can go check out their first interview, which was more about their story and their, their journeys to where they are today. But today, I, I have a few topics I have written down, and we're going to just bounce around. They both have uh, ex- pretty good experience in the ultra-running scene. Jason's kind of backed off of that a little bit. He's, he's an author. He's written a handful of books, and, and maybe we'll talk about a couple of those that could be a little provocative. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about ul- ultra-culture in their, in their opinion. I think that'd be fun. You know, I've only, uh, I've only DNF'd one ultra. Way to go, Scott. Appreciate that, everybody. I had to bring that up since I'm in... I'm in your all's presence, and uh, there's there's been a lot of articles lately, a lot of, let's put some air quotes on this bad boy, research saying that running is bad for you, so uh, I want to get these guys' opinions on that. Of course, I have strong opinions on that as well. Uh, Born to Run just picked a, a lead, I don't know if he's the lead, but in, a, a pretty famous actor to, to star in the film that's been promised to come out for the last five years, so we'll see if that actually comes to fruition, but maybe get a little op- opinion on that, kind of fun. Uh, we're all pretty well versed in that book and, and know what's going on with that, and then uh, we'll just we'll just see where we go after that. Okay, so Jason, John, the the format is I'm going to ask you guys chime in whenever the the spirit hits you, so to speak, and we'll just go from there. So, ultra culture, you guys have been running for for quite a long time. How long ago? We'll start with John. John, how long ago did you start running really really long distances? Uh, six months after I started running, which was uh. I started running in the fall of 2004, and I ran my first uh, ultras uh, in 2005. What was your first? What was your first ultra distance? Did you do like a 50k or a 50 mile or what? I actually ran a fat ass for my first uh, ultra. It was a 50k in the White Mountains of New Hampshire called the Pemi Loop, which is just a long journey run, 32 miles with like 10,000 feet of gain and loss. And uh, it was a really long day. But then my first race was the Dam Wakely Dam Ultras in uh, upstate New York. It's uh, point-to-point, uh, no aid stations, never crosses a road, got to carry all your stuff with you for the whole way. It was really quite an adventure. So were you hooked or just miserable after that first one? Oh, I was hooked because, um, you know, I, my first official long-distance race, I guess, was a marathon. And it was a lot of fun, but it also hurt. An awful lot. So the idea of running uh, really far on trails, uh, you know, just the being out in the woods was was a was a huge part of, of getting hooked, and also it hurt a lot less. <laughs> so, yeah, really. Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit. So, J- Jason, when was the first time you really got into running long? Uh, I believe it was 2005. 
uh, the first ultra I ran, I think, was 2006. Uh, my story is really similar to John's. Um, started out running a trail marathon. Likewise, it hurt a lot. Uh, <laughs> I ran a 50-miler. Uh, it was it was a blast. And unlike John, my 50-miler hurt worse than the marathon. It was I thought I was going to die. Uh, but it, it turned out to be kind of the same thing. It's, it's, it's addictive. And that experience was the, the thing that made me realize, wow, this is something that I want to do. So when you're talking to somebody who's never even run like a 5K before, how in the heck can you say that running 50 miles is addictive? Like why, why is it addictive? You guys want to go into that for a minute? Well, for me, it's free drugs. Um, yeah. I mean, it, when you run, especially long distances, your brain is producing naturally the chemicals that you would, that non-runners would probably have to get from something like LSD or some other kind of psych, psychotic drug. Uh, so the fact that we can go out and just push our bodies and let our brain and our body uh, naturally uh, produce those chemicals, I mean, it's, that's free fun, right? Absolutely. We got a psych guy on here, so... Can you speak to that science anymore, Jason? I mean, what 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 is even at the the most technical level going on? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, when you engage in extreme physical exercise like that, obviously you have all of the uh, your endorphins, your body's natural painkillers, and that's what gives us that sort of high. Uh, but you also have a lot of norepinephrine and uh, all the adrenaline type stuff going on. Uh, Lots of dopamine, assuming you're enjoying the experience. So it really is. I mean, it's like a it, it is like a cocktail of drugs that you get to use. And generally speaking, the longer you go, the the greater that effect has, uh, or the greater the effect it produces. So what what would be your pitch, Jason, to somebody who hasn't run a 5K to go try something this big? You know, I would probably use the fitness angle. It's a great way to stay in relatively good shape. Uh, it's not nearly as difficult as what people assume it is, which is really my whole thing with getting people into ultras. You know, I, I wasn't interested in getting elite athletes into ultra running. I wanted to get people that were, you know, kind of like me, sort of out of shape, fat dudes. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. Okay. So you guys started probably, I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 15 years ago? doing this stuff. Um, Jason, I know we'll talk about what you're doing now. You're not running as much because you've kind of found another little passion. So um, let's let's go back to the culture of running, trail running, ultra running. What was it like when you started? Is it different now in your opinion? Kind of dive into that a little bit. Well, when I started, uh, you want to go first, Jason? I'll let you go first this time. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Um it is. It's significantly different. When I started, it was uh, it was a very close knit. Um, it was a very grassroots sort of thing. Even the biggest races that I attended, it was still like a. It was almost like a small group of friends that would get together a couple weeks out of the year and just you know, have fun. Um, it was very close. Everybody was super friendly. It wasn't especially competitive, even among the the. the people at the front of the pack. Uh, it's competitive, but not really like a sort of a douchey competitive, you know? It's like a good competitive. <laughs> uh, over time, it, it has changed substantially. And you can still find that. It, that, that atmosphere is still around. Uh, it's just much more difficult to find. Uh, I think ultras are sort of going the way of triathlons myself. 
where you get a just a whole level of seriousness that really kind of takes a lot of the fun out of it. it. It probably doesn't help the performance either. I mean, to be serious for 50 to 100 miles seems like it would actually be counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know how people are, how, how people can be serious for so long. If you're running 100 miles, you know, keeping up that just constant, uh, uh, that, that focus. Yeah, it, it's, I don't know how people do it. But we can speak to the other side. I mean, there's always going to be people that push the envelope, that want to go faster, that want to break records. Um, you're talking about the middle of the road people who are doing it, and they think they need to be pushing the whole time. We're not talking about elites who are just trying to do some amazing things, right? Yeah, and that's actually, that's I, that's where I found the biggest change in the ultra-running community. It's not the elites. It's not the people at the back. It's the people that are towards the middle. Um Basically, the people that are trying to find the right gear or whatever to try to move up to that elite status instead of actually training to get to the elite status. Wait, uh, what, what? Training? <laughs> yeah, you know that whole you should run if you're going to run races kind of thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got that. So is that another thing that's that's happening, you guys think? You think people are going out there without without properly? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know what? Let's let's preface that all due respect to the front runners in our sport. What they do uh, is certainly an amazing accomplishments to be able to go out and run 100 miles in 11 hours or 14 hours or whatever the the new standards are down to. But yeah, I agree with Jason. When I got into this sport a decade ago, it was uh, every race was a family reunion, and uh, you get together on the one weekend a month and hang out with your family. You, and you just so happen to drink a lot of beer or and uh, camp out together, and there just happens to be a run, a part of that weekend's festivities. And whether that be 50 or 100 miles, you continue to drink and have a great time through the 50 and 100 miles until you get to the finish line. But I think that over time, we definitely have seen an influx of um, cliche individuals that are coming into the sport where they lack the real grit that's required to run 50 to 100 miles. The races are getting easier. The terrain is getting a little more forgiving. Uh, and I think, you know, with the barefoot movement, you know, Jason, this this was huge. All of a sudden, everybody decided that we were going to run barefoot. So they went out and bought a <laughs> pair of shoes, and that pair of shoes was magically going to make you some amazing barefoot runner. But it never really addressed the problem, which was people, you know, you really need to – train properly to run barefoot. You need to do a certain number of exercises to strengthen the muscles that you don't normally use in a normal pair of shoes. But I don't think people are willing to go uh, to the proper lengths anymore. We're, we're a lazy society still. You know, Even the 100-mile runners are lazy. We just want to buy a pair of shoes and magically I'm going to be faster. And uh, the reality is there's a lot of training that you're not doing that you should be doing that makes you faster. It's not the shoes. Let, let, okay, so, so well, let's stay with the culture. I, I love talking about the training because that's a big part of the show. Um, sure. Really quick, here's Jason Roblard, who uh, who was a, kind of a barefoot enthusiast back in the day. Uh, he and I actually I had a race back back five years ago, and he came out and spoke a little bit. He's working for Merrill, doing some cool things. He's an author since. He's doing some MMA stuff right now. John, Sherpa John LaCroix, uh, he's done some really cool things back east, and he is actually a race director here in town. Um, alongside me, we, we direct some races that are pretty 
pretty close to each other location-wise, which is pretty cool. And we're just talking about the culture of Ultra. Some of the things we talked about is how it used to be close-knit and friendly, and um, Jason mentioned that he had, he had a feeling it was kind of going towards what triathlon was. John, John's mentioned the lack of training and people coming out and expecting to do way better than they should expect to. So I think, I think Jason's word was douchey. <laughs> he did. He, that's that's one of his words. He likes that word. <laughs> so, uh, so moving forward on the culture piece, how do you have? How do you? Okay, you, you said it, it was going towards triathlon. So, how do you? You know, how do you kind of stop that trajectory? Still keep um, kind of the roots of of what it was when it started, and what so, like. I put on a trail run here. It's only a 13 mile, it's not ultra, but it has the feel that you guys are talking about. People go out. There's a couple fast dudes. We have beers afterwards. Everybody's happy. Um, but you gotta you gotta respect the people who are trying to to break records. I think that's cool. So how do you how do you commingle the two? You know? Well, I actually kind of um, I can see Jason's point in that ultra running was going the way of triathlon, but I think that's actually slowed down a lot. I, I personally believe there's a renaissance in ultra running right now where we're actually turning back the clock and heading back more towards grassroots running. And I say that because these the few races out there that do uh, offer prize money uh, at their events, uh, they've seen a, a decrease in the number of registrants going out to their races. People just don't care. I think um, we're growing tired of hearing about Anton. We're growing tired of, just like we grew tired of hearing about Dean Carnazas, and we're going to start growing tired of hearing about Scott Jurek and, and Born to Run. It, it's, I mean, that's just the natural flow of things. And uh, so, so for me, it's, I think it's great. There's something for everybody now. If you want to go run and race for prize money, you can do that. If you want to go run a race where there's a really competitive field and see how you size up against everybody, you can do that. And uh, here in Colorado with my race series, I'm, I'm really focusing on, on uh, uh, preserving the old school roots of ultra, which is to focus less on the race and more on the culture. So there, there is something out there for everybody, and, and I don't think that there's uh, we can accurately say that any one avenue is, is moving ahead further than the other at this point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jason, are you ever going to start running again? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, it's, I, I would like to. I, I left ultra running in a, in a state where I was satisfied with what I had accomplished and was ready to tackle some new goals. But there are some races that I wanted to run, and I didn't. I didn't get a chance to. Um, Obviously, the difficulty in getting back to it is putting in all of the training because I, I really have no endurance base, and I'd have to. I mean, it took like three years to build that up, and it would take at least a year or two. And I just, at this point in my life, I don't know that I really have that commitment to do yeah. it. Having said that, uh, just John describing, you know, that renaissance of ultra running that actually makes me like my palms are a little bit sweaty right now because that is the very thing that. Uh, I was desperately trying to promote in maybe the last six months or so before I ran my last race was we, we have to preserve this, this culture that so many guys uh, and ladies, gender neutral term there, uh, had put in a ton of work creating all these really awesome races and, and, and they built this, this sport and it was an awesome sport. It still is an awesome sport, but it's good that there is that renaissance of getting back towards essentially the roots of ultra running for the people that really want to do that. 
Cool. That's really cool. You know, we're sitting here talking about uh, a sport, an activity that we all really enjoy. Um, I haven't competed as much as you guys, but I, I love the mountains. I love just being in the middle of nowhere. It's my biggest stress relief in the world, being in Colorado. And uh, But there's some, there's some literature coming out, like anything. Everything you've ever eaten, put it in your mouth, there's a research article saying that it's bad for you. So, so I take everything with a grain of salt. And I was actually joking around with... Uh, Somebody I had on the show in the past about going to college. Um, if it taught me anything, it taught me how to read "quote unquote" research with with a grain of salt, with some kind of ob- objectivity. So, uh, so that being said, I, w- I want to dive into some of. We're not gonna get specific. I don't have the 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 article sitting right in front of me, but the general idea that running is bad for you, distance running is bad for you, moderation from what I've seen in some of these articles is one to one and a half hours of uh, le- uh, more than seven minute mile pace per week being healthy, like just really specific goofy numbers. Um, so general question, you've heard it before, is why, why do you think people are saying that running is bad for you? What is your rebuttal to that if you agree or disagree with that? Well, John? for me, I, I think... Uh... I think for me, it's just people making up more excuses not to go for a run. Uh, personally, I mean, there's, you know, there's more evidence that people will tell you that you got to stretch before you go for a run, but there's more evidence and peer-reviewed research out there that supports stretching after the run is more beneficial, and stretching before the run is actually more harmful for you. So I think that, like you said, you got to take all research with a grain of salt. There's a lot of research out there right now that's uh, discussing how ultra running or running long distances is uh, pro- prolonging the life of athletes, of, of runners. It's, it's good for your heart. It's actually good for your joints. It's not bad for your knees like everybody says it is. Like, I, you know, people who don't run and don't get it, they're the first ones that are going to jump up and tell you you need a, a hip or knee replacement in 20 years. And there's just no evidence that proves, you know, if you if you train right and you run right, well, you don't. You're not going to need that. I mean, it's, uh, I, I just think it's more hogwash. People just like to hear themselves talk. Yeah. So, John, uh, John, really quick, you have a degree in kinesiology, right? I do. Okay. And I, and I have my master's in exercise science. Jason, your degree's in psychology? Yeah. So really quick, the angle I'd like you to take, Jason, before you address the, the specific question about running is um, how, do you, how do you look at re- – because your degree had a lot more research, I think, than, than mine did, just guessing. Um, how do you look at a research article, break it down, put this stuff in layman's terms for people so that you can actually make a legitimate decision on what you think about it? You can go from where the research is coming from, how it's funded, all that stuff. I say skip all that stuff. I, the biggest problem with research is the people that report research. Um, no offense to journalists, but they're kind of dumbasses when it comes to being able to interpret research. Specifically, conclusions. Like, any published research is going to have a conclusion at the end, and that'll tell you everything that uh, the authors think about their research. And included in there always will be a discussion on the limitations of the study. In every single study I've come across that is, you know, will say running is bad for you, uh, the authors of the study are very careful. They, they use really guarded language, and it's usually something along the lines of we have a small sample size, you know, we can't generalize this, our, our data collection methods are flawed, our, 
uh, subject pool is flawed. So you have all these things that are pointing towards this research, not necessarily being bullshit, but you know, it's it's science. It's a step in a direction. It's not uh, a conclusive solution to all of our problems. We're not going to find out whether or not running is good or bad for us based on one single study. However, when it gets reported, that's the way it comes up. So you get dumbasses in the media that will make statements like, ah, running is bad for you. Never mind that the majority of our population is morbidly obese and, and you know, the one group of people that's pretty consistently fit are runners. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, yeah, I, could, I could come up with like 20 things that are worse for you than running that are going to kill you far sooner than running is. Oh, well, <laughs> one of them would be sitting at a computer and, and writing a 400-page research article. <laughs> <laughs> true story. I, I think I think look for words like may and could like in that in those conclusions that Jason's talking about. You'll see these words because they can't make a finite, hundred percent conclusive decision on a small sample anyway. Uh, I think people's experiences and thoughts and feelings before they read the research determine how powerful or how true they feel that research is. So that that'll probably be my best uh, my best advice when you're reading some of these things because. CrossFit was getting it like crazy. Look, powerless have been around since frigging Roman times, right? They've been lifting heavy stuff over their heads forever. Wrestling's been around forever. Every sport that you ever play is going to have some kind of research that says it's not good. And um, everything that you eat especially is going to have the similar research. So when you guys are trying to discern from this stuff, look for some of the things that Jason and John were, were, were talking about here a minute ago. All right, Born to Run. They said uh, Matthew McConaughey was going to get cast for this. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Thoughts? Well, I, you know, uh, in 2010, I ran in the Grand Slam of ultra running, and Jake Gyllenhaal was at Twin Lakes 2 at the Leadville 100, and everybody was asking why he was there. And the answer was, well, his brother was running in the race that day, and also Jake Gyllenhaal was going to be in Born to Run. So here we are almost five years later, and there's no mention of Jake Gyllenhaal, but now we hear it's Matthew McConaughey. And uh, <clears throat> I also heard that there was a huge issue with the script, that uh, Chris McDougall did not approve of the initial scripts that were written on the film, and that's why it's been five years since they've finally come around and started talking about filming it again. So, so, so my thoughts are I'll be surprised if they actually film it. Uh, my, first, my second thought was... Oh, great. Here come more yuppie runners to ultra running. It's going to be great. But as a race director, <laughs> my third thought was, bring them on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's a, what's a yuppie runner, dude? I mean, put the characteristics right here. I, I got I to gotta know what a yuppie they, runner is. Uh, they show up at the Leadville 100 in a pair of harachas and chase barefoot Ted around the course. That really happens. Oh, yeah. He usually has a whole horde of runners running around him for the entirety of the race. These people get into Leadville, they wear sandals, and their whole mission is to run stride for stride with Barefoot Ted. That's painful, dude. I, I mean, I've run the Leadville Marathon before, and, and uh, I don't know, some of the, some of the screen, I mean, you're just gonna, your feet are just going to get ripped up when, when it comes down to it. What about yeah. you, Jason? Wait, what do you think about the, the, the pick for the, the movie if it happens? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm surprisingly in the same boat as John. Even though I have all of my 
D-list celebrity uh, is due to Barefoot Running and the original publication, Born to Run. Uh, yeah. I I really worry about the same thing. Um, it, it's I've become a bit of a pariah in the barefoot running community because I was one of the few people that you know actually asked barefoot runners to question whether or not this was working, and so that kind of put me on the outs with a lot of barefoot runners. But uh, it, it, it's I think John's concern is valid. I think when the movie comes out, there's going to be a lot of people that fell in love with the story just like they did with the book, except now it's not going to be 10,000 people. It's going to be, you know, maybe like 5 or 10 million people. So we're going to have a huge influx of people that are going to be interested in barefoot running, and they're going to be ultra interested in ultra running, and they're going to try to combine the two and think that they can run ultras barefoot. And it's, <laughs> I, I, I suppose I should be happy. I'll, I'm going to sell more books if it's published, but it, it's... Money aside, I, I I really worry about the public or about about that movie being made. I don't think it's going to be a good thing for the sport of running. I don't either. It, it's weird. It's so polarizing because you know it's not it's not a sellout type of thing. I mean, Chris had no idea that it was going to take off like this when he wrote it. I guarantee you that. There's no way. You know. I think I think the bigger question is who is McConaughey going to play. <laughs> and that's what everybody's trying to figure out. And I've been really. Uh, pumping for him to play uh, uh, Chris McDougal and then get Woody Harrelson to play Caballo Blanco. That'd be cool. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so um, here's one question for, for both of you guys. If, if this movie does get made, The Naked Foot, I Own the Name, will, would you guys like to <laughs> RD that race? or? <laughs> no. No, it screams liability to me, but maybe I would. It's pretty fun. Jason, do you have any stories from when we were doing that? For, for anybody listening, me and Jason, that's how we met. Um, Merrill was a sponsor that when they came out with their barefoot shoes, and we were going around the country. I had like seven or ten of these. I had seven one year and ten the next year, me and my wife. And uh, since Merrill sponsored, he was out speaking and giving some clinics and stuff, along with, uh, with Ken, Ken Bob Saxon. Do you have any funny stories from, from those trips, man? None that I want to share <laughs> in public. <laughs> um, it was it was a cool event. It was a it was a cool event because it gave me an opportunity to meet a lot of people that I had interacted with online. It was cool being able to teach about running form. It was cool to see a lot of people that had no interest in running coming out, and that was sort of the impetus to them getting into the sport. Um, specifics, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to talk to my legal department about about that. <laughs> I, I, um, I remember. I were you there when uh, Ken always had his dog? Um, what what's Ken's website? We can give him a little plug here. Um, honestly, I, I'm not exactly sure. He has multiple websites, and they all have similar barefoot running. I, yeah. I believe it's barefootrunning.com. I'm pretty sure he owns that. Yeah. Uh, but his his dog, the dog in question. Psycho Herman, which really is a psycho dog. It's the scariest damn dog I've ever seen. Uh, is I think psychoherman.com. Oh, he actually has a so, website for the dog. Wow. Yeah. So we'll 
Kenneth, <laughs> he's awesome, but he would be talking. Like I remember, he was out here in Colorado, and he was giving a speech to some. Uh, you know, everybody had their own style of teaching and running for him, and that's cool. Like that's what coaching is. Everybody has a different little take on it. And he would be teaching with with Herman on a leash right next to his hip. And we were out at Clement Park. There's eight million geese everywhere, and the dog would flip out if a goose was walking behind the crowd. So literally, I mean, Ken would have to get low as he could to keep the dog from running through the crowd to get to the to the goose, and he's trying to teach without without even missing a stride. And me and Laura are just sitting back there, just cracking up. Like this dude's using all of his strength to keep his dog back from from tearing up a friggin' goose to pieces while we're out there trying to learn about barefoot running. It was, it was hilarious. That that was one of those one of those things. But uh, okay, so I'm gonna I have one or two more questions, guys. Uh, Jason, you're getting into MMA right now. Uh, it's, it's kind of it's kind of taking the place of running for you. It seems like. Um, John, you're still running like crazy. You're putting together fat asses out here, which are just free ultra runs, building that community up that you really believe in. I think I said, but human humanpotentialrunning.com. Uh, I'm actually going, I'm going to try to make out to one of these things when I when I have a base of like eight miles a week. Sure, sure, sure. Then, yeah, we'll see you. Then then I'll be out there eight miles a week. That's what I'm shooting for. And then uh, so MMA into running. So the question I have is, running. Have you guys seen been part of? Witnessed an actual fight at any of these running events? John? I'm really, I'm going through my Rolodex here. I've never seen a, uh, like a fist fight or anything, but I've definitely, uh, I don't even think I've seen a shouting match, but I've certainly heard the comments after one of the parties leaves. <laughs> <laughs> What's the... I don't think I've ever seen a fight. Well, you, Jay? Uh, every fight that I've seen, and I've seen maybe three of them, uh, always involve crew members and runners. Really? Um, yeah. In ultras. Uh, and they weren't like fist fights. I mean, they're sort of like shoving, arguing kind of thing, and then it kind of fizzles out. But yeah, no real fist fights. Uh, it's kind of the same deal as John. Most people uh, you know, placate each other, walk away, and then talk shit. What about an it. Could your stereotypical elite ultra runner right now, could, could they throw down? Oh, it depends who. Hmm. Anton? I mean, no way. No, Anton is not fighting anybody in skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> what about Dean? He looks pretty ripped. Oh, uh, Dean would throw down, I bet. And uh, what is what does Dean weigh? Like 120? 125? Oh, yeah. yeah, but he's ripped, man. I mean, he's all muscle. That guy's serious. I mean, I, I'd say if I'd say the best ultra fight that I would want to watch between the front runners would be like Timmy Olsen versus Carl Meltzer or something like that. <laughs> you know, the rugged, the rugged dudes, the mountain men. Do you like those guys? Oh yeah, uh, I certainly do. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, just the world of ultras, like. The personalities, and, and that's just from, from marketing and branding. I, I guess we can end on this question because it's kind of interesting. What's your take on sponsorship of athletes? I mean, there's a lot of athletes that are not elite that are sponsored. There's a lot of athletes that are elite that are sponsored. It all has to do with what you can, what kind of value you can show to your, your potential um, sponsor. So uh, what do you think about how sponsorships are used? And maybe do you have a couple misnomers that people might not understand how, it's, how it actually works? Oh, yeah, um, I think people think that um, 
a lot of these people who are sponsored are making a ton of money by being sponsored, and they're not. Most of these companies are, um, they're just getting, they're giving product away now. And, I, and same thing as a race director. I mean, I, I contacted over 100 companies looking to sponsor our race series, and the only replies I got were from companies looking to get their product in front of my runners and, you know, never mention about, we're not getting, you know, we're not giving you any money, but can we get our product there? Um, so, I, you know, I think people really need to, these guys aren't making a ton of money being sponsored. Do you guys do you guys have any insight on, on what you think the, the top top level ultra guys are making right now? Any any clue? Well, a couple of years ago, wasn't Zurich driving around like a '95 uh, Subaru or something like that? Yeah, easy shit car. And that right there, the, when he was at the top of the sport, that's that's what he had. Um, I just don't think yeah. ultra running has. Uh, there's there's no return on investment for people to invest money into it, for companies to invest money into it. Uh, you're not going to get sell a lot of products to 100 weirdos running through the mountains. You know, there's no media coverage, or if there is media coverage, the consumers of the media coverage are the ultra runners themselves. So it's just not a it's not a good business model to expect a lot of sponsorship money. And that, that ties back, Jason, to when we were talking about the competitive nature of the sport, talking about the culture. I think, uh, like I said, a lot of these races were expecting that if they have these big prize purses, the shoe companies and the running companies are going to come out of the woodwork and throw money at them to, to offer up uh, the prize money, and it, it just hasn't happened because there really is no return on investment. So these, these ultra race directors who are, are trying to – promote the competitiveness and the, and the prize money, it is a bad business model, and they're, they're working more in the hole than they are making any money for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, as a, as a race director myself, me and Lauren figured out really early on, we, we got a big sponsorship from, from Merrill. At least it was big for the size of the event that we had. And the day that we signed the line, we turned into pseudo-employees for these guys, and uh, it didn't feel right, you know what I mean? And I think as race directors, as athletes, if you can serve the uh, some type of community, whether it's your runners or your fans directly, then financially you're probably going to do better in the end. And, and those are the athletes and the race directors that do really well. you got to serve your runners, and if for some reason a big brand wants to invest in you, then they can do it after you have an established run or, or following already. And, and you're going to do – you're not going to have to sell out early on. It just, it's just a much better model. Would you guys agree there? Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that also. And I think that's a good point, the idea of, uh, you know, sponsorship. I think a lot of people assume sponsorship is, uh, you know, this glorious thing that's going to make you a super popular athlete. Or, I don't know what they think. Uh, but it, it's, it's a responsibility because now not only do you have to concern yourself with racing, you have to make sure you're selling products. Uh, you have to do everything in your power to make sure – that company is selling enough product to justify having you as, you know, a sponsored athlete. And I think a lot of people really, they really don't understand that's the point of sponsorship. I think a lot yeah. of people assume sponsorship is like a reward for winning races or something. Yeah. No, you're 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 an advertisement. You're yeah. a living advertisement for that brand. Cool. All right, guys, we're gonna wrap up. Uh, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little a, a little recap here, okay? Uh, while I'm doing a recap, I want you to think of a really good workout for the listeners, okay? So we sat down with with Jason Robillard and John Lacroix. We talked about the ultra culture ten years ago versus today, how it's changed. It was a lot more close knit. It felt like a family, just hanging out, and uh, we're trying to get back to that, obviously. Is running bad for you? This is based on some research that's been out. We talked about the specifics of is it bad for you, but then we also talked about how to discern from good research, bad research, looking for certain words that, that are more opinion-based than, than fact-based. Talked about Born Run, Matthew McConaughey, who... Uh, oh, John's eating some food there. <laughs> <laughs> that threw me off big time. So we talked about Matthew McConaughey, and, and just the Born to Run, just that whole move, it just It's a phenomenon. It's a, it's, a, it's a viral phenomenon. And when we talked about that a little bit... Um, and then we talked about why would somebody who's never run a mile, a 5K, get into get into big longer runs? And the answer is almost always free drugs for these guys. Just talking about the endorphins and the natural things that happen in your body. So to finish things up, uh, I truly believe everybody's an athlete. We're speaking to those people on the podcast. So why don't you guys take turns and give a really good workout for for uh, for people listening that they can go try out today, tomorrow, this weekend. I like uh, progressive speed work. So it's like uh, you go out on a 10-mile run, and uh, you have to make every mile faster than the last. So from beginning to end, every mile is faster than the last mile. How much second negative split between miles do you think? Five seconds, 10? Yeah, five seconds or less is pretty good. I mean, you don't want to blow up. Ten miles is a long way for most people. Yeah, for sure. If you don't if you don't want to do that, then I would do repeat vertical miles. Repeat verticals? So do you do your cool down on the way down or you just do a mile up and then cool down and go another mile up? You rest on the way down. Okay. How many do you typically do if you're doing repeats? Um usually after three I get pretty cranky, so three is my magic <laughs> number. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Jason, you got one? Yeah, it's a little bit some, uh, similar to the vertical miles. Uh, you get two people, have one person, you both start at the same spot. One person run ahead for 30 seconds, stop and start walking. As soon as they start walking, the other person runs to them, then passes them while they count to 30 seconds. Uh, then they stop, start walking. So you end up flip-flopping each other. Nice. Uh, when you're doing that uphill, it's a, it's a great workout. I love that. Do you do for time mileage? Uh, usually distance. Distance. Uh, it'll be to the summit, whatever it happens to be. Nice. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. Awesome. You guys are listening to the Cool Down. This is Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Ginger, host. Today we are joined by Jason Robillard and. Sherpa John LaCroix out of Colorado. Thanks for a lot for listening. And until next time, Scott Jones. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.